an update from you. Good morning. Good morning. Well, um, we're still at Madhavan. It's nice here. We uh, this uh, March is just uh, parting. And I think I'll be here for a couple more weeks before I go to Brazil and then Argentina, a week at each place. And then I'll be returning here and I'll be here until the 19th of February. So um, still time to come down and visit with me. Gordon Ryan has come and Abhay Krishna is here and several of the devotees. Uh, Hari Priya is still here, uh, but they just arrived, those two. Um, and uh, that's, uh, well, I'm, I'm to two more chapters in my book to write um, for the finishing the first draft. So I've got uh, some good facility here to, to work on that and it's coming along nicely. So with that, why don't we take the questions? Okay, um, I'm gonna start with um, some questions that a devotee by the name of Chaitanya Priya Dasi from India, who's um, friends with Karnamrita, and he has encouraged her to join our calls. She got on last week, and this week she sent in um, a, question, a couple questions um, that she would like me to ask. So, um, as a beginner, I'm attracted to a prayer by Vidyapati, especially for the line which roughly translates to, quote, despite being trapped in the cycle for birth and death as per my karma, let my mind be always fixed on you, O Madhava, unquote. So the first question is, is this a prayer that we should all sing? And her second question that applies to this is, it reminds me of the story of Vitrasura, it confuses me as to how a pure devotee can take breath as a demon. Um, if so, it means as practitioners, we must try to look beyond form all the time so that we do not offend a devotee. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the Japanese prayer is a nice prayer. There are many nice prayers like that. Um, the Japanese is one of the authors, Chandidas Vidyapati Jayadev, who preceded Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in their prayers, their poems, um, they spoke about the kind of things, uh, romantic love of Krishna and the prominence of Radha, Krishna's even submission uh, to Radha, that are things that are central to uh, Vaishnavism. There's something in that sense uh, somewhat comparable to the Alwars of the uh, Ramanuja Sampradaya, who were mystic, uh, mystic poets that spoke about uh, transcendence um, in, uh, beautifully and in ways that Ramanuja then drew from to systematize and uh, and uh, and disseminate his Vashishta Dvaita philosophy. Of course, it's a, it's a little bit of a different perspective. Obviously, it's a Vaidhi Marg Sampradaya and uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a Sarag Marg Sampradaya, but um, the comparison is, is apt. Um, um, other than the fact that uh, perhaps uh, 
Chandidas, Vidyapati, we, we don't know much about their, their lives, a little bit more about Jayadev, but at least their poems anyway were, as I say, uh, dealing with the subject matter, higher subject matter for the most part, that uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, was all about and, what, and then through the Goswamis that he could, uh, uh, that, 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 that was systematized for dissemination, like in this, in this example, as I say, Goswamis uh, were uh, comparable to, to Ramanuja and his contribution and Chandidas and Vidyapati and so forth to the Alwars. Um, but uh, in, in that said, the prayers of, of uh, Chandidas, uh, and incidentally, as an aside, it's, it's said in, in Subal Mangal, an old book that's not available now, but some news about it is available, that uh, Subal Saka, the closest intimate friend of Krishna, an Armasaka friend of Krishna, who was also involved in his romantic life, uh, assisting him in that regard, and, and Radha as well, appeared previously in the world as, as, uh, as Chandidas. Hmm? Um, so it's an interesting insight in that book. Um, about Chandidas Vidyapati, and uh, and Jayadev, mostly their their poetic contributions are very um, elevated. They speak about uh, theologically elevated subject matter, but the particular poem that Dasi uh, cited is, is is of course rather uh, general, and uh, it's uh, suitable for a, a sadhaka to uh, invoke. One of them is a form, of course, of of um, Sadhavaki, one of them's prayers. So it's a very, it's a powerful form of um, Vaidhi Bhakti, and it has its application as all angas of Vaidhi Bhakti do for the most part in Rak Bhakti, the two Rag and Vaidhi just being different orientations um, to to the uh, to the goal. Um, but um, uh, in, in, in whether the, whether there's whether the goal is reverential love of God or Love of God and intimacy. Prayer is is is, a, is an anga, or kirtan is an anga, or archan is an anga of uh, a bhakti that um, will be uh, powerful and very fruitful to participate in. Such that even while those types of angas are um, bhava sambandhi, that means they're related to the bhava that we want to attain by uh, perfecting such hearing, chanting, in this case, Vandana prayer, um, they become one uh, with, the, uh, with the ideal. That's why they're uh, often thought or spoken about to be the means and the ends as well. Um, if you look at Kirtan, for example, one of the principal angas, we, we engage in Kirtan and, and the result will be in due course Smaran that will bring about meditation, and then within the meditation and in the meditative life and and super subjective um, participation in a lila, a, a state of samadhi, there will be kirtan within that as well. We find the gopis, the gopas engaged in kirtan. So that's an example of how the means are perfected. It's also uh, expressed 
in, 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 within the goal, the needs of the goal, same. But anyway, Vandanam, I've spoken about Vandanam before, and typically when offering prayers, just uh, to elaborate on that Anga of Bhakti a little bit, the general procedure is to, is to state the position of the, uh, of the Lord, for example, and then um, contrast that with our own position and follow that with a particular appeal. So Krishna is great. I'm fallen and bound by karma. May I remember him in this condition and, and, and thereby be delivered in such a way as, as to enter into his uh, Lila Seva in Vrindavan. So I forget exactly what the prayer said, but it, it, it obviously spoke, as I recall, about the karmic bondage that we have and, and uh, members of Krishna, I believe, being a means of deliverance and so forth. So it's an appropriate prayer. Um, whereas um, for the most part, these, these texts, Chandidas, Jaya, Vijapati, and so forth, were texts that Mahaprabhu heard verses from in his Auntie Leela in, 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 when he was no longer a public person by the very force of Kirtan, that he uh, entered so deeply in the meditation that he couldn't be a public figure anymore and he couldn't function in relation to the outer, outer world. So he was in the uh, company of uh, Sarup and uh, uh, Rai Ramananda, who Krishnadas compares in Chaitanya Sharjamrita to Lalita and, and, and Subal respectively, tending to Krishna and Radha, both of which we find in Mahaprabhu in terms of their deep, deep feelings of, of, of one another, separation from one another. So they would sing Sarup, Damodar, and Ramanandaroy's songs from Shandidas, Vidyapati, Jayadev, and they understanding his bhava. And, and of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was Krishna uh, trying to enter into the bhava of Radha. They, and they know all about that bhava. So they're trying to help him. So they're augmenting his, uh, his entry into there. And of course, ultimately, the successful Chaitanya Charitamrita ends with the last verse of Shikshastakam. And Krishna says, and this is Radharani speaking. Mm-hmm. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's, Krishna's attempt, effort to step into the shoes of the Baba of Radha was successful. And, and he couldn't have done it without Ramananda Roy, Srubdhamadar, and Gadadhar Pandit, who got stepped out of the way, so to speak, um, to the Radha of Chaitanya, Chaitanya Lila to let um, Mahaprabhu fully enter into that, that Baba himself. Um, so for the most part, again, as I say, the, the, those prayers are very elevated, but you, you uh, the, um, so the Chaitanya Priya, what's her name? Uh, has selected a prayer from there that's, that's appropriate for um, the earlier stages of Bhakti. And then um, with regard to Vritrasura, Vritrasura is, is, is a famous story of the Bhagavatam that is mentioned in other Puranas when they describe the Bhagavad Purana. As you may know from Jiva Goswami's Tattva Sandarbha, the uh, Pramana section, which is the epistemology really of Gaudiya Vaishnavism in a, in a concise form, how we know what we know. And uh, he goes through 
that we, we could know by sense perception, we could know by reasoning, the, the limits of these in terms of comprehensive knowing, not that they don't afford us some knowing, but they don't afford us the comprehensive knowing that will allow us to feel there's nothing more that needs to be known. For that, we need something beyond the instruments that we have that themselves are a product of our karma, our, our rational faculty, um, our, our physical, uh, physical, mental, intellectual capacities, and so forth. Um, they can be useful, but under themselves, they cannot uh, afford us the opportunity to arrive at full knowing, which is loving, of course, and loving Krishna. But, um, and so uh, beyond them, we have revelation, right? And um, the Shastra Praman is a, is a powerful uh, form of that uh, revelation. And and he goes through from the Shruti to the, uh, to the uh, Quranas, to the Vedanta Sutra, and why Shruti in and of itself is, is not the best vehicle given the time and circumstance, and why the Puranas may be better, even though they're thought to be supplementary and so on, and Vedanta Sutra, and he ultimately comes to the Bhagavatam and says that this is how we know what we know. This is the hub around which all the sacred texts orbit and will be understood um, in relation to with that context of the Bhagavat. It says differently outside of the Bhagavat, then it will be, uh, uh, there'll be a reason why it's speaking differently that's provisional for time and circumstance and so forth. And the absolute consideration will be found in the Bhagavatam. So again, this is his uh, concise um, treatise on Gaudiya epistemology. And, um, and in the context of that, he cites many different Puranas that speak about the glories of Srimad Bhagavatam. We don't find the Kurma Purana glorifying the, the Skanda Purana, the Skanda Purana glorifying the, uh, the Varaha Purana, uh, and so on and so forth. But we find many Puranas glorifying the Bhagavat Purana. And, and, and in, in the glorification of the Bhagavat Purana, it's common amongst these other Puranas to cite certain characteristics of the Purana that they're speaking of, by which it may be known, other than by its name itself. Hmm? And one of those characteristics is that it contains the story of Ritrasura. And I think that there are also Shruti references, uh, I'd have to look that up, but to, to, to the obscure references that can be construed to be speaking about the Ritrasura Leela as well. So it's a prominent Leela, and in Goswami also points out in, I believe, in Bhakti Sandarbha, that um, in the prayers of Ritrasura, who is, um, what is his name, his previous birth? Uh, Chitraketu. Chitraketu. We find um, the, uh, uh, the spirit of, 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 of Rag Bhakti. Hmm? So this again speaks to us about Srimad Bhagavatam is about Rag Bhakti, about Nigamakalpataro Galitam Palam, Sukumukadam, the Drava Sanditam, the Bhagavatam, Rasam Malayam, Murho, Rasikubi Bhagavatam, and the fullest measure of that, uh, Rasa, Raj, and so forth. Um, 
Chitra Ketu, of course, the story is what that that, that he was uh, he made a joke about uh, the fact that Parvati was sitting on the lap of Lord Shiva, and as such, Shiva looked henpecked to him, the virile Shiva, as he's often depicted, right, and dressed in ashes and absorbed in meditation and so forth. Um, and Parvati took exception to that and cursed him. That's the, that's the story. <laughs> and he accepted the curse of Parvati, although given his position as a devotee, he could have counteracted the verse, but he didn't. Uh, and he accepted the curse and took birth as Ritrasura, and the story goes on. Um, was it Indra fought with Ritrasura? And uh, in the context of that fighting, that these prayers of, of Ritrasura come out and show, of course, that, that unbeknownst to uh, Indra, he's a great uh, Vaishnava. Um, and indeed, when he accepts the curse of Parvati, Mahadev Shiva takes exception and says, oh, just see hmm? the uh, such as the position of, of the devotees uh, of Narayan uh, or Krishna, that whether it be Svarga, heaven, or Apavarga, not a Keshu, heaven, hell, liberation, anywhere in between, doesn't matter to them. As long as they can serve, as Mahaprabhu said, whatever they're, whatever they're, whether they take, whether they're liberated from the world or, or, or not, in heaven or hell, they, they just want to do bhakti. Um, so, uh, there's two verses that he glorifies um, uh, the uh, Chitraketu in the position of the devotees, Narayana Pra. What is it? Uh, that um, uh, he says, um, what is the second verse? It's like the Gita verse, the rarity of such. Rare it is to find the devotee of liberated person, rare still a devotee of Narayan, something like that. Um, forgive me, I forget the, the poetry of it itself. But um, so the position of, of Chitraketu in the form of uh, um, Vritrasur has a background to it worth worth knowing. Now the question is um, something to the effect, if I recall, uh, that uh, how should we look at even demons? They might be devotees in disguise or, or something like that. Uh, that would be rare, probably, but it's, it is it is it is possible. Uh, I would say that look at the, at demons or those who are acting in a demonic way such that uh, you can learn from them. And then you can regard them highly, whether they're devotees or not, because you learn a very prominent lesson from their example, which speaks louder than precept, as to how not to be or how, what not to do. And there are many examples of them setting, well, setting a very good example of what not to do. And uh, that uh, makes them venerable on our part. And uh, if they turn out to be devotees in skies, well, well, all, all the better. Hmm? Um, and in general, the devotees should look at the world and world events and, and, and uh, reverses in their life or, or difficulties 
along these lines. Uh, and that type of thinking will only foster sar Sharanagati hmm? hmm? and help us develop bhakti samskaras and the samskar for taking shelter of Krishna, depending on Krishna. He's our protector, he's our maintainer, and so forth. Hmm? As distant as he may be in some instance, like once Archer in the city asked me, I went to the gas station and I put in diesel gas into my car. Why did Krishna make me do that? <laughs> I said, I'm not sure if he did, but it's good to think like that. that you know, maybe he did. And, uh, and as, distanced as, as distanced as he may have been from that, that being just some karma that it was reduced from what it should have been by, by the grace of, of bhakti, and he's not that much involved in there sitting on the hood of your car. Um, um, that kind of thinking, nonetheless, may draw him closer hmm, to you. So, so to develop dependence on Krishna, that is central to, of course, to that's the srupalakshan, the primary characteristic of sharanagati. And if we want to be a premika, we have to become sharanagata first. Right? So I hope that helps if uh, Chaitanya Priya or anyone else has a further question about that or a comment or I haven't answered it to her satisfaction, let something out. Um, please, uh, we're open to hearing about that. I guess she's not on the line. Yes, she is. She's, she's on the call. Um, Thank you for your question, Chaitanya Priya. Does that help? She's, she's muted on it, so. Okay, I hope so. It was good. It was very good. Um, okay, um, let's see. Next, Yuga Dharma. You have to um, unmute yourself. Hi, Bo. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Sandavat Guru Maharaj. Good morning. There's some uh, YouTube videos. A researcher has shown there's archaeological evidence of Bhima, one of the Pandavas, that he had a giant stature. He was a very large person. Can you maybe speak something on that? Um, yeah, I can speak something about that. Um, there is an effort on the part of some persons, devoted persons, pious persons, religious persons, and even uh, devotees to uh, dredge up physical evidence for um, the leelas of the Bhagavatam, for example, or Ramayana, um, in an effort to secure in their own minds that the, the leelas are real. Hmm? And, um, and so you can hear about things like we found some stones and they, you know, they're part of the bridge to Lanka. So therefore we have the proof now, or this about Dwarka or, or here's an instance here, um, or, or footprints of Krishna in a stone and brudge uh, and so forth. Um, 
it's not a bad thing, uh, but it's not everything that sometimes it's thought to be. First of all, um, we have to realize that physical proof is not what it's made out to be. There's a prominent uh, thinking, dominant thinking, that, that, that proof, reality, is depends upon a third person verifiable in the laboratory physical evidence. Hmm? And if that physical evidence is lacking, then you, you, don't, you don't have any proof. But as I've said before, we do not have, we cannot prove physically by third person verifiable, so to speak, um, methodology. This is, this, this is, of course, the scientific, um, what do they call it? Um, closed experiment. Hmm. Scientific method, where you isolate an environment and close it off, and then you get data from it and make, you know make a conclusion and so forth. So many things have, have, have developed from that, and they have what has developed that is from some facts and evidence that hires other ideas of how the world works. Some some detail. Hmm? Of course, you're never going to find from that type of experiment how the world works in a larger way, as an illusion. Hmm? It needs to be overcome and so forth. But you can find out interesting things about it and then manipulate it based on those facts to develop certain facilities for human society that serve as a carrot uh, in one sense uh, to lead people on to believe that by such a methodology, we can find everything we need to know. And anything worth knowing will only be found through such a methodology. And other than that, it's just some kind of belief or imagination or you can't take it seriously. It's just in your mind. Well, the mind is more than just something that's not to be taken seriously. And if you can control the mind, of course, we say the mind is not the brain. So point here being just even in that sense, everything's not physical. And then beyond the mind, there's consciousness. So we say, according to Sankhya philosophy in the Bhagavad, the Bhagavad Sankhya, that the physical reality comes out of the subtle psychic reality, and both of them are dependent for their, whatever they do, on consciousness itself, which is transcendent to the time-space continuum. Hmm? So, um, that said, as I often say, the only thing that we really know is that we exist. And I say we exist, we have a certain experience of existing that is not the experience of anyone else. It's our private experience. And everything that we do in life is based on that experience. Everything we do. So it seems like drives our whole life. But you cannot prove it in that way by finding an archeological footprint board or something. But I'm saying by third person verifiable so-called proof. It's a subjective reality. Hmm? But it's the only thing we really know. Hmm? Even the physical facts that we find out, we don't, we don't necessarily know that the conclusions that are reasoned about, hmm? the facts are reasoned about to draw certain conclusions. We find some footprints or something, and we conclude hmm, through certain experiments and data that this many years old, and therefore people must have been 
you know, this big at that time and so on and so forth. And you're, what you're doing there is you're taking certain, certain hard kind of facts, if you will, that, and then you're conjecturing about them, what the conjectures could be wrong and there could be other footprints and so on and so forth. And so this is, of course, if we go back to Jiva Goswami's epistemology, not a comprehensive way of knowing. And um, so Shraddha, faith, in the efficacy of bhakti is what makes us, gives us eligibility to tread the path of bhakti. We don't need third-person verifiable archaeological evidence for Krishna Leela to believe in it. If we do, there's something lacking in our faith in the argument from Shastra, which theoretically is a means of knowing that transcends what you could know with your mind and your senses and your reasoning faculty. Hmm? And so we hear about the Leela, then we want some other verifiable evidence. Obviously, it, it, it implies that we have not yet understood what is the scripture, leaving in which, if you will, as a, as a means of knowing something that you could not know otherwise is crucial and vital to effectively treading the path of bhakti. Um, and to take it a step further, uh, and I've written about this briefly in the second chapter of my recent book, Sacred Preface, with regard to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityananda Prabhu, who the author of Chaitanya Charitamrita says are not different than Krishna and Balaram, who are like the sun and the moon and so on and so forth. Well, we know that Gaur and Nityananda walked the earth in a historical sense, but we don't have, have any, the same historical type of evidence that Krishna did, but we can find some old coins that, that Vasudeva has mentioned on, and we can, again, piece together. So some people have done this. Hmm? and the historical Krishna. But I can tell you that when you're done with all that evidence, the historical Krishna that you'll have from that is not the Krishna of Srimad Bhagavatam. He's not lifting Govardhan Hill. Hmm? You might have evidence that a person named Krishna, but you're not going to give evidence that Krishna lifted Govardhan Hill that will satisfy any objective uh, person or killed Agasura or did any other thing. So you're ending up with a, with a historical Krishna but he's not the Krishna who Vyasa is seeing in trance. You understand? Vyasa was told by Narada, the problem with what you've done so far is you have not sufficiently, in no uncertain terms, uh, spoken about, written about the efficacy of bhakti, rather about jnana and karma. And so you need to do that. Then your work will be complete. He said, samadhi nanusmrita bhichishtitam. You enter into samadhi, you're capable with this in mind, and then come out and rewrite or edit the Bhagavad Purana and call it the Srimad Bhagavatam. That's what he did. So he went into trance, and in trance he experienced Krishna in a particular way. It's said that you, can, that you will see Krishna with, with, when the eye is tinged with the salve of love. Um, Prabhupada used to say, that not everybody recognized Krishna for who he was when they were there. Hmm? Otherwise, why would they deal with him in the way that they did? Like Duryodhana, hmm? hmm? for example. Of course, you could say, this is the Leela. It's created for that purpose. There have to be, has to be opposition. There have to be 
good guys and bad guys, and they're all good because it's a Leela. That's another way of looking at it. But the point is that if you want to see Krishna, you want to experience Krishna, you have to experience Krishna on the super subjective plane of a controlled mind, controlled senses, focused in meditation. And that is how to arrive at actual reality. Because if you want to drive a reality so-called from the controlled experiment, you have to be objective. You have to transcend, so to speak, your emotions and your feelings about it. I feel that if you mix hydrogen and nitrogen, you'll get water. Well, the, the data shows that if you mix a certain degree of hydrogen and oxygen, H2 and O, you're going to get water. So you might feel like it, you get, you'll get it with nitrogen, but your face just might blow up and smoke in the laboratory in, instead. So you have to distance yourself from your feelings and objectively enter into the picture, which is, means, on a, on a relative, in a relative sense, controlling the mind, which is the seat of feelings and thoughts. I like this. I don't like that. The seat, mind, emotion, manas, and, and, and setting it aside and dealing and with booty, with intelligence and factual information, making a determination, whether it be in science, whether it be in politics, whether it be in law, whether it be in academics, this objectivity is praised and understood to be a means of arriving at the truth of the matter. It's very interesting because it's, it's, it's kind of about transcending our, our humanness, the limits of our human, humanness, right? And, 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 and controlling our mental, emotional reality. And that is precisely what sadhana is about to the extreme, hmm? not just partially when you're giving a lecture or writing an academic paper or where you're arguing in court or when you're in the laboratory, but all the time hmm? and comprehensively mastering the, the human uh, passions, rising above them. So there is an inherently inherent objectivity to the subjective exercise of bhakti meditation, which is totally missed on people who think that meditation, faith, is some departure from reason. It's quite, quite the antithesis, properly understood. Hmm? So if, my point is, by objectivity and finding facts, in this example, we're going to verify that Krishna is there, but we're saying that there's a better way to do that. Hmm? Scripture says like this, you do like this, and what's going to happen is you're going to transcend the physical world. You're going to transcend the mental world. Now you're going to see that from a whole different perspective. And you're going to see that physical matter is this stuff coming out of psychic matter. Psychic matter is touched by, by consciousness proper and sets the whole thing in motion. And there's a whole tripod vibhuti above the whole thing where so many possibilities exist. If you just understand this one point that you, as probably just say, are not the body, and what that means, what that opens up to in terms of a world of possibilities, is unbelievable. Let me give you an example. What are the physical possibilities that you could do today? If I say to one of the devotees here in the room with me, I say, Gordon Ryan, would you please pick up everything in the room and take it outside in one, one, one go at it? He had to pick up so many cushions and a table and a chair and a computer, and a, he couldn't do it. 
But if he said, yes, I will do it. And then he sat down and meditated and said, I took them all out in my mind. I'd have to say, okay, well, you did it. You know, okay, you did it in your mind. So the possibilities on the mind in the, in the mental world are greater than, the, than in the physical world. Hmm? And we go higher than that to, in the material hierarchy from mind to intellect hmm? and from intellect to the soul, Atma itself. What are the possibilities that lie there? Hmm? They're unlimited. Hmm? Now we think there's limitations to what Krishna Leela sounds a little, I don't know, how did he do that? How did he lift that hill? We want to give physical proof. Just like they say, I don't know if there's a, there's a soul because we've never seen it. Hmm? We say, there's, we say well, you don't, you don't have to say you believe in a soul. Do you, you say you believe in consciousness would be a stupid question. Of course we all have consciousness. We say that consciousness is the Atma. Hmm? Now, to say on top of that, that the consciousness has causal efficacy, it, has, it, it, it moves the world. Where's the proof of that? They'll say, where's the proof? We can't measure it. We don't see anything called consciousness coming in and doing this. Well, it's a given that you can't measure it because it's not physical. We're saying it's not physical. Now you're asking for physical proof of how it acts physically. Well, you know, it acts in a different way. Hmm? Even at a distance, without touching, without two physical things touching, there can be movement. I mean, we could go into examples of to, to, to give evidence for causal efficacy of consciousness, but that would be beyond the scope of the answer of this, this question. But the point, the point I'm, I'm, I'm making is that as the realm of mind, as Prabhupada used to say, well, you can have gold and you can have a mountain in the world, but you can't have a gold mountain, but you can have one in your mind hmm? easily. No problem. So what, what, is, what are the possibilities of consciousness unfettered by, uncluttered by, un, unhampered by, by time and space? They're like our uh, sentence and our cell. Once you get out of it, what are, what are the possibilities? They're un, unlimited. Hmm? Unlimited. But we hear about the world beyond and the highest possibilities in that world of consciousness, the Leela of Radha and Krishna, hmm? and how it appears on earth to the eyes of some devotees and in the hearts of devotees hmm? who are actually controlling the mind and the senses and more hmm? and having the experience. And then we want physical proof of it to, to verify it, or, or we think we're, we're going to sell that, so to speak, to somebody else to say, see, therefore Krishna existed in, and, and all these things are true. You have to, you have to speak about it in, in, in another way, as I was speaking about it, bring to another level of what, what, is ver- what is truth, how to arrive at it. And if you pride yourself in objectivity, well, there's no more objective type of exercise that you could commit to in terms of pursuing actual knowing than, than sadhana, hmm? actual spiritual practice. You have to, be, you have to rise above your, your feelings your mind and, and, and senses to the extreme hmm? and, 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 and transcend them. And then, that means you, you understood them. You're above them. Hmm? And that's what the whole world's about. So I don't put a lot of, you know, uh, stock in such uh, descriptions in terms of how devotees sometimes like to think of them and, and, and um, get, get proof, so to speak. They should already have the proof if they understand the scripture properly and they understand Guru Parampara 
where we have persons who uh, embody and exemplify those truths by good character and so forth. We have all we need in those two things. The book Bhagavad and the person Bhagavad, we have all we need to, to, to verify um, the reality of Krishna Leela. So I know that's not, that's a long answer and it's maybe different than what some of you may be thinking about, but that's how I think about it. Thank you for asking. Another question? Well, yeah, because the evidence is showing that Bhima is like 20 to 30 feet tall. Sounds good. That's not, you didn't really address my question as far as the, the height of Bhima, the size, no. the size of him is what I was talking about. It'd be a pretty big person, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. It's possible. It could be big. Well, that's what the evidence is showing. And so I was wondering, since we hear about the Pandavas in the context of Sambandha Gyan and the Bhagavatam, we might want to hear more about the fact that they were probably 20 to 30 feet tall. This is interesting. Yeah, maybe when it's over, you can listen again to my answer a little more fully. But there is sometimes some statements that in previous yugas people were taller, but um, but that would have been called a yuga. And at any rate, it's possible. Be a pretty big person, be good at basketball. Another question? Yeah. Um, you need to unmute yourself. Are you there? Fully, well, I'll, I'll unmute you. Okay. Uh, Hare Krishna, it's my turn to ask my question now. Yes, it's your turn to ask your question now. Okay, thank you. Uh, okay, Hare Krishna Maharaj, Dandavat. Morning. Uh, so my question is about uh, Mantra Diksha. And uh, does Mantra Diksha uh, empower the mantra to be more lively or so? Uh, and so what is the nature of this? And, uh, and then two specific questions. Can, can this empowerment be lost in some way? And uh, further, uh, if, if I have Harinam initiation by Hare Krishna Guru in the Hare Krishna Ma Mantra, am I then also in some way empowered to chant the other Vaishnava mantras like Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya or Sri Ram Jai Ram Jai Ram? This is my question. Did you, did you get all of that? Thank you. Yes, thank you for the question. And... Uh, it's uh, explained in the Bhakti Sandarbha of Jiva Goswami um, indirectly and more directly in other texts that while it is true that certain mantras require empowerment of a guru to have efficacy, this is not the case with Krishna mantras. Therefore, for example, there's a famous statement in Chaitanya Charitamrita that Krishna Nam is not dependent on Diksha. So there it is directly stated. In order for Krishna Nam to be effective in the life of someone, it's not dependent upon Diksha. 
which is diksha means the function of, of imparting the mantra on the part of the guru to the disciple. Now, if we take this to be a statement about Krishna Nam and a Nam mantra like Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, 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 Hare Hare, which is simply made up of uh, uh, names of Krishna and in the vocative case, or in the, um, in the vocative case, um, with no particular petition and, and so forth, um, then we could say, we could question, well, that may be true for non-mantras, but Krishna mantras that are in the dative case and um, express a, a, attach a petition to them, so to speak, like, may I, be, may I become surrendered to you, Swaha. Um, uh, perhaps they need to be empowered. Hmm? But the case is, no, no Krishna mantras need to be empowered. Indeed, what is the, the main Diksha mantra? That's our non-mantra. The Diksha mantra for the Vaishnavism is, is the Gopal mantra, which is revealed in the Gopal Tapa Upanishad. Yuga Goswami makes the argument that the mantra is simply made up of names of Krishna. They're arranged in a certain way in the dative case, and with, with the addition of Swaha, the, the petition is, may I, may I do my surrender? It's, it's a supplication. It's a very powerful mantra for Sadhana Bhakti, which is about Shraddha and Sharanagati cultivating the root of slender and growing one's faith and so forth. Um, uh, so you don't need diksha means, well, I guess you don't need a guru because the guru gives diksha. Mm-hmm. Other mantras for Shiva or Ganesh or this would require some empowerment on the part of the guru for them to be effective. This is the idea. The Krishna mantras, because why? Because Krishna is non-different from his name. So Krishna doesn't depend upon anything else in order to reveal himself. He can do whatever he wants. That said, Shiva goes on, Shiva Goswami goes on to say, but what he wants, he can do whatever he wants, but what he wants is that we receive the mantras from a sadhu and follow his or her direction. This is his own method. And indeed, where else are we going to hear the mantras? Even if we didn't get initiation, we heard the Hare Krishna mantra somewhere or read about it somewhere because some sadhu is, is chanting it, writing about it, and so forth. And so to ignore that fact, for example, and think, well, the scriptures say it's independent of diksha, Harinam, let's say, as, the, as I'm citing from Chaitanya's charge and Rita, is actually to commit Namaparada because you disregard guru in the name of chanting so we we could chant like that but we say I don't need a guru these mantras are empowered we're only partially understanding the statements because if we ignore the guru dismiss the guru who obviously some guru some gurus we heard the mantra from somewhere directly or indirectly we should trace it out to the source and show our gratitude, and then understand, maybe I can learn something here hmm? from such a person who's made this available. Hmm? Gratitude is kind of, the, it's only the, just like the beginning of, 
of, of love. Show regard, and of course it's true. So much you'll learn from Sadhu Sangha and having direct guidance of a guru who can ask you whether you understood the scripture or not, or and can teach you the Sambandhagyan, could teach you, for example, the other uh, Namaparats. You might learn all the Namaparats by reading one of the Puranas that it's in, but then how are you going to overcome the, the, the uh, disregarding the guru unless you accept the guru? So Jiva Goswami says, because this is Krishna's system, therefore you must accept the guru. And of course, if we're not already a liberated person, there's so much to be benefit gained from that association that really it is essential to have the guru, to hear the mantras from, from the guru um, and, and so forth. Not only is it essential in, 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 in a lawful sense, kind of the way I'm speaking about it, but it's essential in this sense. I, let's say I heard the mantra, I'm chanting it and, and I'm inspired and I don't have a guru. And so what do I do if I'm progressing in that? I got some vague sadhu song where I got the nam. Now I want to c- cultivate that, that, that my enthusiasm for that. So I need like-minded persons. So now in a systematic way, I'm going to embrace sadhu sangha. And in the context of that sadhu sangha, some sadhu, if I'm seriously taking advantage of sadhu sangha, some sadhu is going to stand out as a person who she really like moves me. You know, she speaks about this in such a way that I feel like my own, it resonates with me. It's like, I feel like that, but I couldn't say it. I couldn't say it myself. It's like I got an extra tongue and a mind to expand my own feelings that are not able to articulate. So that explanation just resonates with me. It's not like a foreign influence. Hmm? Um, Guru is in the heart, right? Hmm? Krishna appears externally as the Mahant. Hmm? And so there's a, there's a, I must accept a guru above and beyond the legal sense of the term. I must, I, I want to capture him, her, and have this connection. I've got this name and it's affecting me. And I, I want to, now I understand here's a, here's a person who's affecting it, who's, who it's affecting much more. I want those effects. I want that person's connection in my life. Hmm? So I must do it. It's out of, out of, out of, out of a sense of my, what it will be, how it will be good for me or out of affection or just a faith that's been created, which is animating. Faith is the animating principle in life. So I'm now driven to capture he or she who has captured me. Hmm? You think you got me? Now I'm capturing you. You have to teach me. Hmm? So, um, so it's essential to have the guru. That is our teaching. Even while the Krishna mantras do not need to be empowered because they're already empowered, hmm? still to take advantage of them, receive some bandhagyan, hmm? Um, and, and, and so forth, it behooves me in the least, if not, as I say, it is essential for conditioned souls to have such, such guidance. Um, now, I, I think I've answered a part of your question, and there may be parts of it that I, that I forgot. Um, if you want to um, remind me of those or question further about what I've answered, now's the time. Uh, well, thank you. Um, 
uh, I think it would suffice for an answer for all of my questions. If, if uh, Krishna is always uh, unconditionally present in his name, uh, then I am just as empowered to chant Hare Krishna as, as, uh, as Nishinya or Vasudeva or Rama or anything, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the, the important thing is that, that, um, that if we, we, we should, we should, we should receive the Hare Krishna mantra, for example, from a guru and, and then, um, yes, all the names of Krishna, Ram, Nishinya, they are non-different from the uh, the name the name of the name they're non-different but i mean there is a whole theology to nam that is you know very useful to learn i mean you're asking questions about it, so i you know give me opportunity to give a limited answer but there's there's much to be learned so um and, and of course if you receive the Hare krishna mantra then some some people think well i don't need diksha you know for the i don't need to receive the diksha mantra that would be um a misunderstanding um, as well, because the diction mantra is very much to help, help us in the condition stage within sadhana up to bhava, hmm? um, and to develop, as I say, sharanagati. So, anyway, I'm glad I could answer your question. Thank you for that. So we have just a couple minutes left. Would you want to take another question, or do you should we save it for next week? Uh, is there another question? I have a couple more, so we could do another question if you'd like. <laughs> I've got a piece of coconut stuck in the straw. <laughs> I hope it's not a pen. <laughs> no, <over> that. <laughs> so, do you, would you like? Would you like a question, but it would be a short answer. So, if you want to more comprehensive answer, you might want to wait till next week. It is just one minute left, so yeah. maybe we should just wait again. Well, thank Thanks. you so much. You'll be, you'll be available next week? Yeah. Thank every, you, everybody, for your presence, for your questions. It's humbling, and I guess I thank you for the opportunity to uh, render some service. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.